tell you what, I'm, I'm excited about uh, this series, and, and uh, when you see the word stewardship, everybody goes, oh, he's going to be talking about money. I'm not going to be talking about money. Um, stewardship is so much more, and so I was, I've been praying, I was like, Lord, what do you want me to teach your people? This is your church, your people, not mine. What do you want me to do? And um, I'm driving down the road, and all of a sudden, just the Lord begins to show me and, and places in my mind these different scriptures that are starting to talk about what does it mean to be a steward. So let me give right off the bat, um, what is a steward? So it's a, the first, a steward is a noun, someone who manages property or other affairs for someone else. So in other words, a steward, he's uh, somebody who manages something that's not his. That's, that's a key understanding. It's not yours, you're managing it, right? So he manages the property or other affairs for someone else. It requires authority to be handed down from the owner. So what happens is the owner gives the steward an authority to carry out his business. The owner gives that steward authority to represent him in those matters. Stewardship is a verb, and it is the process of being responsible and accountable with someone else's property which was entrusted to you. Okay? One of the things that I want to show you today, I, well, I, I won't get into it, I'll show you, I'll just show you, but I'll get a couple of examples here. When you see words in the Bible, there's so many different terminologies or roles in the Bible that actually comes right back to the concept of stewardship. Let me give you an example. Um, I'm missing some of my elders, but elder, the word elder, overseer, it's a position we have in the church. A, an elder is someone who oversees different things. Well, guess what? They're stewards because this church doesn't belong to them. It doesn't belong to me. This isn't my church. A lot of people are like, oh, hey, I love going to your church. No, it's not mine, buddy. Love you. It's not mine. It's not mine. It's God's. I am only a steward of his. It's his house, right? So, so really, it's, it's a great to understand. That another word that you can see that would be an example of a steward would be guard, a guard is somebody who's guarding something valuable. You don't just guard something that's not valuable. So a guard is, is delegated this authority to protect something. Administrator. Administration, administrator, um, are another word for somebody who's taking accountability or, or, or responsibility over somebody's funds, that, that an accountant. So those are some examples. So what we're going to do is I'm going to take you to Genesis chapter 1. So if we're going to get to the origin, where did stewardship start? We're going to go right back to Genesis chapter 1. We often, as a church, need to always go back to Genesis to remind us of how things started because when you get the starting point, it often gives you a lot of insight of how things should be in your life. So with this origin of stewardship, Genesis chapter 1, God is, uh, chapter 1 is, is a record of God's creating, okay? He's creating um, the, the, the earth and everything in it. There was, uh, he created light, let there be light, and so all these things are taking place. Well, at the sixth day of creation, he then begins to turn his attention to, to mankind, and this is what it says, then God said, let us make man in our image. And the first thing I'm going to draw your attention to is us and our right? Come on now. See, a lot of times we say, well, Jesus was just this New Testament character. Nope. When God says, let us, he's talking about the full Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen? So what's really amazing, and I want to show you something that's so cool. 
And this is for free because it wasn't in my notes, but you're welcome in advance. So, uh, so when we deal with like uh, the Trinity, one of the hardest things to sometimes describe and explain, but Jesus says in John 1 about himself, he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 14 of chapter 1 of John, it says, and the Word became flesh. The Word he's describing is himself, Jesus. He's the Word. Now, did you know that Holy Spirit, the word spirit in Greek is pneuma, P-N-E-U-M-A, where we get the word pneumonia that's from your lungs. Pneuma, pneuma, I get your pen. I, I, P, N, give me an E, U, M, A, pneuma. Okay, sorry. <laughs> You're welcome for that too. Okay, so my daughter, we were driving to church. It was such a little wonderful moment for, for, for me as a dad. And I was like, what's your favorite part of church? And I was expecting her to say working in the gathering while making coffee and making mistakes and getting to drink it is what I thought that would, would happen. She goes, my favorite thing is taking notes. I'm like, that's my girl. All right, so pneuma is where we get the word pneumonia. It means breath in Greek. So get this. Hold on. This is such a cool picture. How did God create light? He said, let there be light. So to speak, what does it require? Breath and a word. Ooh, the Holy Trinity right there in all of creation. The Father is using the Holy Spirit as breath to speak His Son's word into life. How about that, right? So that's pretty cool stuff. So that wasn't a part of the notes. I just wanted to give it to you. So let us make man in our image. You've got to remember that this us and our is, is the trinity, is the, the plurality here there. So he says, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Some of our youth are creepy. Anyway, so... So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. I'm going to right there highlight that. I, that's not an issue in this church, but it is an issue in the world, male and female. God created them male and female. Okay? Male. It, and, you know, growing up on a farm, I say this all the time, it's super easy. When a lamb is born, I lift up the tail. It tells me exactly what we're dealing with, a male or a female. A ram or a you. I mean, it's super easy. And the world that we live in is twisting the truth and not okay with what... So God is the creator. You're male or you're a female. And if, we, and if you don't like that assignment in life, then we need to get some counseling. We need to get some help so that we can get over that. So he created the male and female... Then he blessed them, and God said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. Maybe your, your um, translation says rule over it, same thing. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed, to you it shall be food." Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, everything that creeps on the earth. So what he's talking about is not only he gave them, he created them, but then now he's showing all the creation that he's already done and said, this is food for you. 
So as a hunter, I embrace that. The deer that I chase around the woods, that's food for me. All right, so the first thing that I want to bring out is this. God is creator. If you don't get this, you're not going to get anything else. God is creator. Therefore, I am his creation. It's right there. I just said God is creator. I am his creation. It's on the board, hon. I am created by God. You see that I'm using a lot of I am statements. This is a part of our identity. Being a steward is a part of our identity because it's a part of who I am. God is the creator. I am creation. Okay, I am a part of his creation. And so the first thing that I want to bring up to you is therefore I'm not a mistake. I hope, I hope you ladies especially are listening today. Because I know that a lot of times women, and not just saying only women, but I know that a lot of women struggle with, with insecurities about not feeling like they're good enough. A lot of men feel the same things, but they just lie about it and act like they don't feel that way. But I'm wanting you to understand is that if God is the creation, you've got to get, get this. If God is the creator, right? If he's the creator and you are his creation, and by definition, God has to be sovereign, and he has to be all-powerful. And according to, to us, Christians, he's perfect. So those of you that believe in the biblical God, would you agree that God is perfect? Yes. You believe he's all-powerful? Yes. Okay, so do you believe he's all-knowing? Yes. Do you believe that when he created something, he created it good? Yes. Okay, so does God make mistakes? Yes. Therefore, you can't be a mistake. If God doesn't make mistakes and you are a part of his creation, you're not a mistake. You're not a piece of junk. You're not a piece of trash to be discarded and thrown away because God has a plan for your life. There are so many people who think that that because some parent has said, well, you were a mistake, you're an accident. They have all different kinds of people who have mistreated. Every one of us have had terrible things said to us. That has affected our emotional being, right? I want you to think about this. But are you listening to them or are you listening to your creator? Because your creator looked over all of creation and he says, and it is good. It's so important for you to understand that I am, God is the creator. I am his creation. I was created by God. God doesn't make mistakes and I'm not one. Stand on that truth. I'm going to share with you, I love this passage. In Psalms 139, verses 13, it says this, For you created me, my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. You hear that? God created your most inmost part of who you are. See, a lot of times I, you know, there was the things that attracted me to my wife in college were, became at some point in our marriage the things that annoyed me about her the most. And I'll get into that in a little bit. But um, and then I realized that that's how she was created. I did some changing in there too. Stopped liking all the things that I really liked about her. Her fire. Her. She would just never close her mouth, and it was always hilarious in college. And then it just wasn't so funny all the time, you know, at home. <laughs> you know. So, but. The things, I had gotten to a place where I kind of forgot the things. God created that about her. 
He created that aspect. The most frustrating aspects of her was a part of his idea too. Sometimes we just need to remind ourselves, that's what drew me to you. So sometimes I need to get over myself. And so the thing is, is that he's saying that you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made each and every one of you, not just Adam and Eve. God didn't just create Adam and Eve and say, oh, we'll see how this turns out. I hope it works out okay. Every single one of you was knit together. God had a plan for your, he knew you by name. The Bible even says he knows how many hairs are on your head. Now, some of it is a little bit easier than others to count, but he knows how many hairs are on your head. God intimately wants to have a relationship. Most people's biggest problem is they know about God. They just don't walk with him. Therefore, he's just a a figment of your imagination, or he's just this this thing that, that some people believe in. God wants to have a walk with you personally. When he created you, he created you with a purpose in mind. Your works are wonderful. In Ephesians 2.10, it says, we are his workmanship. So let me bring you to the second thing I want to show you. God is creator. I am creation. I am created by God. Therefore, I am not my own. This is a hard part. A lot of people don't like this part. I figured you'd like the first part because it's like, hey, I feel better about myself. You should. You're not a piece of junk. You're not a mistake. You're not an accident. But a lot of times we don't like this part. What most people want is, God, I want you in my life. I don't want you to be my life. We, we actually, most of the time, I think the best um, way for me to give you a visual of this, most of us want God to be our mechanic. God, fix my car, but it's my car. I want you to fix it so that I can drive it. When the reality is, God, this is your car. Fix it or don't, but it's yours. And if you want to take me for a ride, then you take me for a ride. I'm with you to the end, no matter what, whether we have a car or we don't have a car. It's understanding that God's not the mechanic, he's the owner. That's stewardship. That's the understanding of God. I am not my own. And I love this. I, if I'm not my own, this is, listen to this. If I'm not my own, I am his. Come on. If you don't write anything else down, write that. I am his. His. And what that means is that you are his possession. And people are like, man, I don't like that. Man, that's the best part of it. It's the best part is that the king of the kings, the, the Lord of lords, the great I am, the creator of all that is, the one who can fix everything. I'm his. I belong to him. That's what we need to get back to. God, I belong to you. I'm yours. First Corinthians chapter 6 says this, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? So when we, when, we, when we receive Christ, when we surrender in salvation to God, when we talk about, hey, have you been saved? A lot of people are like, what does that mean? When I truly believe in God, 
and I surrender my life to him, the Bible talks about how we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. We, we receive the Holy Spirit of God into our lives, and that's how you know. When people say, well, I don't know if I'm saved, I'm just like, well, then you, you're not, probably, because when you have the Holy Spirit, there's no denying it. There's th things change. You know, your life changes. And so he says, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. Look at this. For you were bought at a price. I want you to think about that. You were bought at a price. The price was Jesus on the cross. The price was his blood to redeem you from your sin. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So Jesus went to the cross, died on the cross, spilt his blood for you. You were bought at a price. The price was death. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Galatians, like this one, I love Galatians. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What this is saying is I, I have crucified my desires. I have crucified my wants and my, my needs. I have crucified myself so that I can just be, be in Christ. He's my life now. That's all. Guys, I, I'll tell you the truth. That, that's probably the hardest thing for people to do. I mean, it's easy to kind of believe it's easy to kind of go through the motions. It's kind of, you know, those, those are the, but when you come to that point of you're saying, God, I, I'm, get, I'm doing away with my wants and needs. And God, this is just about you. What, do you. what do you want? What are you calling me out to do? Third thing I want to show you today in the passage is this. God is creator. I am creation. His creation. I am created by God. Therefore, I am his image bearer. I just, I love this thought here so it says let us create him in our image so each and every one of us was created in the image of god that does not make you a lowercase g god there's a lot of churches false churches let me just say that false churches false teachings that try to make you you know like hey you're a god because of no it just means that god honored you and gave you his image. It means this. You're a direct representation of him. You are symbolic of him. And you know the saddest thing is. Is how often we live our lives in such a way that. You can't see Christ in us. That a lot of times we walk through this. Through our life and. We're not a very good image bearer. See I have. I carry his image. Not my own his image have you ever like walked up to somebody and you didn't even have to say anything but you immediately knew there was something different about them just there was this glow about them there's something special and you and I, if you're like me i'm like hey are you like a born-again christian i know i don't know your name but i mean they're like and they're like yeah i'm like dude i knew it like he's all over i can see him in you. 
I mean, if we started thinking about when you, that you are, as his creation, a steward. Listen to me. You are a steward of his image. You were born with that. Isn't that, I mean, when you start thinking about it, like God could have just like, eh, let's make some man and we'll just do that. But he's like, no, let us, this is different than all of, you are different and unique from all other creation because you have the image of God. That he blessed you with that. And sometimes we kind of take that for granted, though, don't we? Sometimes we maybe don't take it seriously enough. But man, it's, it's remarkable to think that God has given you his image to be a direct representation. When we walk around, I, I hope that if there's anything that happens from this is that you might walk out of here and say, you know what, I hope that tomorrow at work, people will see Christ in me. That when I get home from a terrible day of work, my wife, my kids will see Christ in me. That, that my life, that they will see that in me. When I've had a terrible day, they'll see him in me. That I will be a good image bearer. You see, a lot of times we separate. We like to categorize our lives. We like to cut it up like a pie and say, this is my church life. But over here's my work life, and I don't want them to touch because I don't act like a Christian at work. Then I'm not being a really very good representation of what I say I believe. Man, if there's something that we could start saying, God, help me be a better bearer image. I want to I I bear your image well. I want to represent you well in all that I say and all that I do. May my wife see you in me. May my kids see you in me. May my coworkers, my neighbors, my friends. How many times, you know, the worst news that I can get about members in a church is I, I, I remember a, a direct statement that was made a long, long time ago. I mean, this was like, I don't know, eight, nine years ago. And somebody says, well, I really wanted to come to your church. One, it's not mine, right? And, but I didn't jump drive right into that statement right off the bat but they said but then I realized that one of your leaders was so-and-so okay is there something wrong with so-and-so man do you hear what they how they talk outside of church no man they are so foul-mouthed I just couldn't even, I didn't even believe that they were a Christian, and then they said that they were a leader in your church. I'm like, ouch. I mean, that's terrible news, right? I mean, to me, I look at that, and I'm like, that is a terrible representation. I think that as a member of a church, or just somebody who's like, thank you, Jesus, for saving my soul, that I would take him with me every day, not just on a Sunday, not just act the part in church and then act however I want in the world, that when people saw me, I wasn't fake. I don't want to be fake. I'm tired of people just living fake lives. Be real. Don't be fake. So I am his image bearer. It's not kind of interesting when I started thinking about him, us being an image bearer. Isn't it interesting that in the Ten Commandments, he says you are not to have any other image before me kind of an interesting I, I was like wow Lord I, I never really thought of it that way that you gave us the image 
that we have, and we're not to have any other images. That's pretty awesome that he's serious about this image thing. I gave you my image, and I don't want you to have any other images. This is the one I gave you. This is the one you're to walk out. So, not only is God my creator, I am his creation. Not only is that, but now there's a second thing that we see in this passage that's now about how he, is, he blesses us. I am created by God, but I'm also blessed by God. This word blessed in, in new, the New Testament or in Greek, it's a, it's a Greek word called makarios. M-A-K-A-R-I-O-S. She's like, how do you spell makarios? How it sounds. Makarios. All right, it doesn't have to be spelled right because it's all Greek to you anyway. So <laughs> what it means, though, the concept of being blessed is this, that you are made happy by the extension of another. In other words, I can't, being blessed, you don't bless yourself. Oh, I'm going to make myself happy today. Have you ever noticed that that doesn't work very well? I'm going to make myself happy. No, this is, the concept of being blessed is that something else, someone else, in this phrase, God is the one who makes us happy. In this, in this instance, being blessed by God. So he's like, I'm going to bless your life. I'm going to bring joy to your life. I'm going to bring purpose to your life. I'm going to bring meaning. I'm going to bring direction. I'm going to bring truth. I'm going to bring healing. I'm going to bring these things to your life. That's what, that's what it means to be blessed. God is bringing the things to your life that you need. So the first thing he says is that I'm going to bless them, male and female, and they will be fruitful. Go and be fruitful. Well, we got a lot of kids here, so we're not going to go into all the, the details of what that actually meant. But what I'm wanting you to also see from, see from this is this. And here's where I, I see this being important as, as a steward. From the stewardship perspective of this, the biggest thing is, is God's creator. I am his creation. Therefore, I'm not my own. I belong to him. So my life belongs to God. He's creator. I'm created. Everybody with me? What does that mean for my wife? Same thing. He's creator. She is his creation. She belongs to him. My wife doesn't belong to me. In the Old Testament, there was a great struggle of women being viewed as a possession. So the first thing I want to say is my wife is a gift from God. Everybody hear me? My wife, Barbara, she's with the children right now, is a gift from God. I just want to make sure it's on record. Uh, my wife is an absolute gift from God. The, in Genesis there, the same passage, right? The same passage, uh, the next chapter, Genesis 2, he says, The Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. Sometimes, I, sometimes we kind of get in the thing, it's like, my wife's here to help me. Here's the deal, I want to help her too. I want us to be helpmates to each other. You know, my wife is getting ready to actually, she just got re-enrolled and she's going to go back and get her RN. Um, she's an LPN, she's going to go back and get school. So you know what this means. I know what this means. I got six kids in the house. I'm going to be a fami. 
That's a father mommy for anybody who doesn't know. Luckily, they wipe their own heinies. So <laughs> at least in that department, we're all right. I might have said, hey, honey, could you wait until they're all potty trained? Could you do that for me? Help me help you. You know, so, but here in this sense is this, I want to help her. I want to take pressure off of her. I don't have, a, I was washing dishes yet. I don't have a problem washing dishes. I may not be the best duster in the house, you know. I might like, right, you know, you know, but I'm not always great at that, okay? I'm just gonna, I'm not gonna lie. But I wanna help my wife. I don't mind helping. She says, hey, uh, we got a bunch of company coming over tomorrow, which is what she said yesterday. And I said, okay. And she's like, hey, we need to get this house clean. I'm like, all right, kids, let's go. You're in the mud room. You're in the garage. You're in the room. They're doing this. And then I was helping them all out, you know? And so we was all doing it. We all buckled in. And the thing is, is that, you know, a lot of times men are like, well, you're here to help me, but I'm not here to help you. That's a bad attitude. And if that's your mentality men stop it all right because the thing is is that we are helping each other i want to i want to walk with my wife i want to i want to do life with my wife i want her to be right beside me and that good and the bad and the ugly and all the other parts in between let me show this i love this proverbs eighteen twenty two. he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the lord a good wife is favor from the lord some of you are like, well, I don't have a good wife. Maybe she didn't have a good husband. I, I, and let me, let me just be personal with you. You know, a lot of, a lot, I share often that me and my wife, a couple of years ago after our son, eldest son passed away, we went through some really difficult times in our marriage, and we went to counseling. I am a full advocate for counseling. Full. Changed our life. Because in that counseling, I thought she was wrong, and she thought I was wrong, and then what reality is is we're both wrong. There were things that I was doing that wasn't healthy. And what happens is she did something I didn't like it, and so I would punish her for it verbally or just stop talking or I'm walking out. I'm not talking to you today. You know, I'm talking to Jesus. You know, the T-shirt, I'm talking to Jesus today. No one else, you know, that, that is not necessarily great in your marriage. Don't use that there. Um, and the thing was is that I wasn't being a very good husband. So a lot of times we forget that we're both a blessing for each other. We're supposed to be. I'm supposed to be a blessing to her life, and she's supposed to be a blessing to my life. And a lot of times what we do is we, start, we just kind of get to a point where we stop blessing each other. I start living for myself and what I want and kind of leave her out of it. So he who finds a wife finds a good thing. And that means that you should be that to her, being a good thing. It obtains favor of the Lord. Look at the next one, though. An excellent wife is a crown of her husband. I, I love this. Now, the other part's not so fun. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband. On the other side, but she who causes shame is rottenness in his bones. A lot of Proverbs talk about both sides of it. I'm just telling you, I don't ever want to be a person that would cause my wife to feel rotten in the bones. I don't want to be that kind of a husband because I'm looking at this both ways. I want to, I want, when my wife thinks of me, I hope and pray that I'm the kind of husband that she's like, man, you are a crown to me. She's a crown to me. I think one of the things that we learned in counseling is that I was so focused on wanting her to change that I didn't realize all the change I needed in my life. And I'd become prideful and stubborn. And until I just said, you know what, God, she's yours. Stewardship helped me out a lot. God, she's yours. My job is not to change her. 
but God, I want you to change me. If my wife doesn't make one single change that I want her to change, if she doesn't make one single change in my life, I'm okay, God, I just want you to change me. I want you to teach me how to love her with an unconditional love no matter what she's acting like today. God, help me just do that. Help me be the man I'm supposed to be. Not whether she deserved it or not, but just God, help me to be who you calling me out to be. Help me be the leader. Help me lead in the change. You see, the whole time up to that moment, I wanted her to change, and then I'll treat you better. No, it's, God, you change me. I want to be a better man. And God, she belongs to you. You do whatever you need to do with her. I'm just going to love her right where she's at. With no expectations. Just, God, I'm going to love her where she is. Verse 30, or chapter 31 of the same book, Proverbs, who can find a virtuous wife? Her worth is far more than rubies. Guys, this goes both ways, but I'm really, as a man, I like to find the verses because here's, here's what I believe. My job is to challenge every man, husband, father in this room. I'm not a woman, so I can't really bring out the, the womanhood out of a woman, but I sure can speak to the men. But I also see it both ways. If you find a really good husband, he's worth something too. So, my wife is a gift from God. God is creator. I am his creation. I am blessed by God to reproduce and multiply. Get this, my children are not mine either. The hardest thing in my life that it was ever is when my, my son was sick and I just had this clinch on trying to force God to do what I wanted God to do. The hardest thing ever to do is say, okay, God, he was yours before he was mine. See, it's really easy as a preacher, I'm just going to be honest and transparent with you, it's really easy to preach a sermon until, it's, until you're living it. It's easy to say, oh man, I gave my children to God a long time ago. Oh, I said it, but I was never put on the line with it. The hardest thing is when you have your child and you're like, okay God, he's yours before he's mine. And if it's his time to go home, then you're going to have to do what you're going to have to do. And I trust you. That's hard. There was nothing harder in life. But I had to come to a realization is this, my life doesn't belong to me, my wife doesn't belong to me, therefore, guess what? My children don't belong to me. My kids are his too. And you know the hard part about that is this, if my kids belong to God before they belong to me, am I raising them in the way that he is pleased? Ooh, come on. I don't know if anybody's toes are hurting. Some of us probably should. Think about that. If I'm buying into stewardship, that I belong to God because He's a creator and I'm not, and I'm His, He's mine, my wife, my spouse, if you're a girl, your husband, you're my spouse, belongs to God because they are His creation. How is that different than my children, right? So my kids are His too. Am I treating my wife, which belongs to him before she belonged to me, am I treating her the way he told me to? And he gave me children, so am I raising them the way he wants me to? Woo, come on. When you start thinking life about being a steward, it changes everything, doesn't it? I love that passage in Psalms 127.3. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. <laughs> kind of makes me think of fruit of the loom. 
it was Renee's fault. She smiled, and it made me think of, of that. That's, that's, not, that's not okay. So, all right. So, my children, they are, they are, they're on a reward. Like, and, and here's the thing is I want to say, because I've met a lot of people along the way that have maybe been, well, not maybe, but they've been barren in different types of ways. Like, we couldn't have children this. That doesn't mean that God doesn't reward you with children, but there's maybe it's not always in the physical realm that we often work with. My daughter, Alicia, is giving me two thumbs up. We adopted four children into our house. And I'm absolutely proud to call them my kids. And so if we didn't have any biological children, I would still be an absolute in love that I'm a father. And I remember people in church growing up, how different adults in my life. When my parents got split up, my mom was, was kind of going through a wreck in her life. My dad was a state away. And I remember going to school and a lot of coaches who I still have great relationships with today kind of stepped in and helped be a father to me in a lot of different ways. Taught me a lot about life. You know, back then, I, you know, I always thought it was just about sports, but it wasn't. They were pouring into my life. And they were godly men that poured into my life. And they still reach out to me today. I still get that, you know, I, my wrestling coach still reaches out to me and he says, man, I'm so proud of you. I'm like, that feels good. It's like an, a second dad telling me he's proud of me. So guys, you may not have ever had children, but you still can be a parent. You can still father the fatherless, mother the motherless, be an, an assistant to parents who are going through times of struggle. The last thing that I'm going to bring out of this passage is this. God is creator. I'm his creation. I'm blessed with. He gave us dominion over the earth. Now, I want to share a little bit and make sure that we're very clear on this. <clears throat> Just because I have been given, like he says, I gave, I, he's giving us dominion over the earth, does not mean that the earth is mine. I am a steward of what belongs to God, and I'm to take care of it. Drives me crazy watching people when they throw trash out the window or they just junk things up and just, just, just don't have any respect for something that doesn't belong to them. 1 Corinthians, the Lord says, For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Okay? You guys agree with that, that the earth belongs to the creator of the earth, right? So, and everything in it, how many of you are in it? Woo, come on, right? That's us. So we still, going right full circle, we belong to him. So I'm going to show you one last passage. And what my hope and goal today was to just make sure that we understood that God is creator. And I am created. I'm not a mistake. I belong to him. My life is not my own. And if I can take that with me, that's going to change a lot of things in my life. When I realize that my spouse is not mine, I don't get to control them. It's not my job to control my spouse. And not even my job to control my children, but to raise them in the way that the Lord would have me raise them. In the way that they should go. So let me close with this. In Colossians chapter 3, Since you have been raised with Christ... That's talking about a salvation. Set your hearts on things above. Set your hearts on things above. 
where Christ is seated, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above. So set my heart on the things above, set my mind on the things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Your life is hidden in Him. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Now listen to this. The New King James says, Therefore, put to death. Or in the NIV it says, put to death therefore. So this is saying, okay, since Christ has saved you, since Christ has, has, has come into your life, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And then he begins to list sinful activities. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. And because of these, the wrath of God is coming. He's saying, we live in this world right now where <laughs> it's getting pretty evil out there, isn't it? It's not going in the right direction. And throughout the Bible, we're often warned that if we continue to behave this way, we're going to receive the wrath of God. And here's the thing is there's a lot of religions out there that don't ever talk about the wrath of God. They only want to talk about the love of God. But guess what? God is God and he can do whatever he wants. If he wants to blow this whole thing up, he's completely just and holy in doing it. I just want you to understand that God is God. I'm not. So when he tells me to put to death some of the things in my life that don't belong there, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to put that thing to death. Sexual immorality. We live in a world right now that Sexual immorality is everywhere. Everywhere. Lust, it even talked about lust. It's like put sexual immorality and lust. Guess what a form of lust is? Pornography. That's, guess what, also sexual immorality. If you are married and you're viewing pornography, you are committing adultery against your spouse. I'm just saying. Greed. Evil desire. Greed is something that we don't talk a lot about because we all think we're poor, but really we're just maxed out in credit debt. Guess where a lot of that comes from? What he's saying is, Christ is in your heart. Get rid of all the things that don't need to be there. Put to death the things that don't belong the things that don't bring glory and honor to him. And here's the thing is it's one of those things you're like, okay, God, what do I do about this? He'll, 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 be, he'll speak to you. So I want you to bow your heads today. As we begin to think about what does it mean to be a steward, next week we're going to go a little bit deeper into being a steward. Maybe today, maybe you're realizing that there's some parts of your life that you have not surrendered over to him i want you to think about that is there any area in your life right now that you can think of i have not turned this over to god maybe you've not turned over your finances or maybe you haven't turned over your marriage maybe you're still trying to control that maybe you haven't turned it over to him Maybe you haven't said, okay, God, I get it. I'm a steward. I'm only managing this thing. I need your help. 
Maybe today it kind of comes back to a place of you just need to ask God for some help in that area and say, okay, God, this is, this is your marriage and I want to bring glory to you. I want to become the, the husband that you have in mind and I just need to surrender that to you. Maybe you need to surrender as a, as a wife. Say, I want, to, I want to be the wife that God you had in mind. Help me with that. Maybe you haven't surrendered your life. You're still holding on. Maybe that's what you need to surrender. So I want you to think about this. As we, as we open up this altar, maybe there's some things in your life you just need to lay down. God, this is yours, not mine anymore. I'm giving it back to you. Maybe you need to surrender the part of your life where maybe you're not representing him at work. Maybe today's that day of saying, okay, God, I have not been a very good representation of you at work. And I'm sorry for that, but today it changes. God, I'm surrendering myself to you. Guys, your life, in your life, you're going to do this a hundred times over in a hundred different places. It's not like in one day I just say, okay, God, I just surrendered everything. It's like, God, I found another piece of my life I haven't given to you, and it's yours today. And then maybe next week you show up and say, okay, God, I realize that I had this in my life too. I'm giving it to you. It's giving back to him what belongs to him. It's letting go of your need to control things. Maybe you're a control freak, and you're like trying to control. You're trying to make the change. You're trying to force the change. Maybe today is that day you're just letting go of that. God, I let go. God, I'm giving myself over to you. I think that's the best thing about an altar. An altar was literally a place that you would sacrifice. And the Bible says in, in, in Romans chapter 12 that I am a living sacrifice. I'm placing myself. God, I'm giving of myself. There's some areas in my life that I need to get rid of and I need to move on from. So God, help me today. So the altar is open.